0: This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org party today.
1: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.
0: uh, average team is most likely not successful with the best idea.
1: Welcome to the Mentor TV podcast and stay curious with Patricia Falco Becali. Welcome back to another edition of COVID-19 from Crisis to Creation here on Mentor TV. I'm Patricia Falco Beccali, your host. Well, I am not only the host of this show, but I'm also an investor. I invest in small companies and together with my partnership, Falco Capital, we invest in what would you call a scale company. And looking at the last few months, I can tell you one thing for sure, that the investment environment has gotten a little bit tougher because insecurity, economic insecurity hasn't really been so great because of the COVID-19 crisis. So that means that in the first half of 2020, uh, VC money going into startup companies is down about 6%, which is only 6%, I have to say, because if you take one big deal that was done for an Indian tech company out of that equation, we are down about 17% um, half year compared to half year of 2019. What does that mean? Well, we still have companies such as GE, Hewlett-Packard, Netflix, uh, Burger King, let me think, Revolut even, being started during times of recession or depression. So there is still money, there's still a chance, but you as a potential investor have to be more careful and you as a potential startup company asking for our money, have to be just perfect in your pitch. And this is why I thought, why not just ask? What is a perfect pitch? What does it take for an investor to really be convinced that you are the right entrepreneur, that you are the right product driver, that you see the market exactly how it's going to go and eventually make us investors money. So I thought, why not invest one of the Höhle der Löwen here in Switzerland? Apart from that, he's of course also a very successful investor. Dr Tobias Reichmu joined me here on the show to discuss what it really takes to get some money out of people like you Tobias and myself. Thanks so much for joining me.
0: Pleasure. Thank you very much for the introduction here and I'm uh, happy to contribute to your show today.
1: Well, Tobias, you know, I've been watching Hürde der Löwen here in Switzerland, but I'm a huge fan of Shark Tank in the US or Dragon's Den in the UK. And it really intrigues me as an investor myself. What other investors, VCs are really looking for when they have, you know, a young entrepreneur in front of them with full of passion and they have like about six, maximum 10 minutes to pitch their idea so much so that we would actually invest a hundred thousand or even 500,000 into them. What are you
0: looking for? First of all, uh, are people authentic? And uh, I think what very often goes wrong is that people uh, come to the show uh, with, you know, they have six minutes in their head. They know every sentence, one after the other. Uh, that doesn't really look authentic. Uh, it looks like it's cool. And maybe it's perfect, but uh, you can see that people are concentrating on finding the right words rather than thinking what they are saying. Uh, so, and, and sometimes it happens that suddenly they, they lose it, and they have no clue. Uh, I mean, yeah. they their own business well, and, and they're standing in front of us five investors uh, and suddenly you see blank. Yeah. Now, what would I advise? You know your company. Uh, if you start a company, you know what you do. Uh, so start with what is the problem and how do I solve it? And you don't need to know it by heart. Uh, you don't need to have every sentence ready. Just talk about what you do. Yeah? Uh, and I think this this comes over much more authentic and honest. Um, if you forget something, you have one full hour in that oh, You know, I mean, what you see on TV is 50 minutes. In reality, it's 60 to 90 minutes. Yeah. You will be asked about it. Yeah? So but that, I think that'll be advice number one. Don't learn everything by heart. Just go there and tell what you do.
1: Yeah, I think the authenticity is really important because it's energy you transmit. And, you know, you and I, we sit there and we feel the people. And, uh, of course, they're excited. So we discount that. However, at the end of the day, it really is the person that we invest in. I mean, if I look at the teams or the entrepreneur, yes, passion is great. But me personally, I look for, do you have actually the guts, not only the guts, but the resilience? Uh, do you have perhaps even leadership qualities apart from the knowledge in your product? Do you, do you have many more things? So I'm looking for the person, not only authentic, but also capable and withstanding.
0: agree. Uh, and often it's not on the person, it's a team. Uh, so I do believe that a great team can be successful with a mediocre idea while uh, average team is most likely not successful with the best idea. Uh, So for me, you know, the team, the founder, um, what's the motivation? Uh, Are they all in, you know, skin in the game? And if it's a team, are they, how shall I say, you know, this formula of one plus one is more than two to be three. Do they really bring together the knowledge, the experience, the different characters which is needed to make this idea successful? So you're absolutely right. Uh, Team is number one. Uh, number two, you look at the idea. You know what market is. It is a it growing market, and so on. Um, number three, I would say, as an investor, and uh, very often people get this wrong in a show like uh, I heard it a little Shark Tank. As an investor, you want to have a factor ten when you invest in a startup, and I explained why. Um, you are at total risk with the money you invest in, and, and uh, you know it's a startup. You put in. Uh, 100% then you might lose 100% so on the other side of the balance I don't want to have uh, 100% upside I want to have a 1000% upside this yeah. should cover for the losses I will make uh, you know mind you I mean I have done now probably north of 20 startup investments mm-hmm. you all go right no uh, <laughs>
1: no the ratio is actually very slim in terms
0: so far of I have, I have total losses were 3 uh, another one is unlikely to be successful Um, uh, some others are in the race Uh, uh, two exits uh, i could do so far Uh, so those exits they basically must pull the losses out that 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 is uh, that's the thing now what we often see is you have a founder or a team they have a great idea um, and this idea might lead to a nice income for them if they are successful well that's good for them but as an investor, I have not yet got my money back and I definitely haven't got 10 times my money back. yet.
1: Exactly. And I think this is a, a really important point you're making, to Tobias, which is the difference between earning money and making money. If we wanted to earn money, we would go to a 9-to-5 job and we have our monthly income. But the risk factor of actually trying to make money and really investing with a high risk is a totally different ball game. So the factor of 10 is a need be because... Uh, a, we don't know when are we going to have the next tombstone or successful exit. And until then, we have to budget. And uh, really, what is going to be the survival, if not success rate, of our portfolio?
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> the, the survival is good, actually. Yeah. So, you know, again, you, I think it's great if you're a founder and you are managing your success, you, you know, you get your income. Maybe you can build a nice house. All great. Yeah? yeah. But the next question really is, can you make this big? And when I come back to this scalability question, so as I said, number one, team. Number two, idea. Number three, scalability. Uh, scalability for me means very often also the readiness to leave your home market. And many founders are not ready to do that. You know, you have a Swiss founder saying, hey, I have this great idea. Uh, I'm going to whatever, uh, you know, do a B2C, so a customer product. In Switzerland, my first question is, well, if this is a product where you sell something to customers, why the hell do you do it in Switzerland? Yep. Why not going directly to Germany where you have one language, eighty million people? In Switzerland you have whatever, well, four languages on eight million people.
1: Well to be at the Dach region. I mean at the end of the day, anybody that speaks the German language yep. is really included in a huge market if you take the Dach region. Including Austria,
0: it, it's it's not a good approach to say, well, let's do first Switzerland, and then once we establish in Switzerland, we will go out to Germany. A, it takes much longer than you think. It also normally costs double as much uh, to basically build the first market. The other problem is, in the time you build your Swiss market, if your idea really is good, it will be copied by somebody else in Germany. Uh, you have it, the means
1: that that's another thing you have to be fast as well and nimble and of course everything comes it's like the perfect storm you have a great idea you need to scale it everywhere you don't have the resources yet and even not the experience but it's interesting what you said that a lot of companies don't want to scale uh, you know with uh, our partnership Falco Capital we are operational investors uh, what we describe as a slightly different model than a classical VC that just puts in money into the company we put in uh, partly money, but partly sweat. That means we buy in and build up and not as advisors, but we are really standing next to the team with a team and help them uh, to scale because we go for the scale-up companies, those that have reached a certain level of income, uh, revenues, and just need to push through that glass ceiling, whether it is geographically speaking or um, uh, in another sense. And even if they have the funding, to Tobias, I find just not, they just not—they don't have the experience how to do it, the context, knowing the partners who to work up with on an international basis. So it's quite hard to, to really ask uh, startup companies, how are you going to scale?
0: Yeah, and you know, the, the geographical mobility is a problem. Okay, now in COVID times, it is really a problem. <laughs>
1: Impossible.
0: <laughs> well, uh, you know, when I hear that, hey, we are a founders team here in Zurich, uh, and I ask them, well, guys, why don't you go to Berlin? Why don't you go to Silicon Valley or something like that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's great to have teams in Switzerland and to see them growing, but in some markets, Switzerland is just a too small market, and uh, then you know, they hear that you yeah, have, you know, my girlfriend is here or boyfriend, whatever it is, yeah. Well, as an investor, I must say, well, that's good for you. But then maybe I'm not your investor. Yeah, it's conventional. Mm-hmm. Go where it's best for business, um, and you know, once you're successful, well, settle down wherever you like. Yeah. Uh, but at the beginning, maybe you must be more mobile. It depends, of course, what, what uh, industry you're in. I mean, uh, when I look at investments I have done, like uh, you know, here I'm sitting at Crypto Finance Group or Singularity Group. I'm I'm a co-founder and investor as well. Uh, those companies have, by the nature of the business, a global audience. Uh, so you establish sooner or later an office in Singapore, for example. Yeah. yeah. But it's not re- relevant whether you are sitting in Paris, in Zurich, or in Berlin.
1: Or whether there is a pandemic going on, because that's very digital. Oh,
0: uh, it doesn't make it easier, but you have access to everybody you want, because uh, it's a B2B very often. Yeah, Capital is... is uh, how shall I say, is allocated easily enough in in new geographies. But if you have a product which clearly is end-customer focused, well, then you should start in a big market and not in the smallest one.
1: Yeah. And you know, that brings me to the financial model and the revenue model, because at the end of the day, what investors want is right from the beginning. Yes, they like a nice product, but they want the benefits. And usually the benefits are something <laughs> that companies need to be able to monetize and make us money. And if I sit in some pictures and they tell me about a potential market size of 65 billion, I'm like, Okay, did you ever look into market segmentation? Where are you fitting in there? Uh, And uh, once you maybe identified that, are you happy with 2% and what does that mean? I find sometimes that the expectations or what they're trying to sell um, could be a lot more precise and convincing, therefore.
0: Yeah, true. And and, and the next thing you're talking about here is valuations. Uh, So uh, Mm -hmm. if you come with your 65 billion market, it's easily to explain (laughs) a with million at day one. So here is my business plan. It's worth so and so many millions. Yeah? Um, very challenging. And what I, what I see here a bit from experience is even if you can push through a very high valuation at the beginning, as a founder you put yourself under a lot of pressure because you will need more money. It's very seldom that your seed round has been it and from then on you're break-even. and Normally you need a series A, maybe a series B, whatever. Now, Let's say you say, I make an example. You say, my company day one is worth 20 million. Uh, I have this idea. It's great. Look how big the market is. 20 million is what it is. And I would like to have, uh, I would like to raise 2 million. And let's say you are an excellent salesperson. And let's say the market is just right for that. And you can do it. Congratulations. Yeah. You only have to give away 10% of your company and you have 2 million cash in the bank. Now let's say, you have spent this or invested this $2 million after one year and you see that, well, maybe it's a bit more difficult than I thought. I need to raise another $2 million because now I have a team and these people need to be there, paid salaries and so on. Um, and you go out and you say, well, I need to raise another $2 million. Yep. And since we have reached so much already, we are worth now $40 million. Well, you can bet that investors will compare what you have promised in round one when you were worth $20 million, And they will tell you, well... Sorry, but you told us that you will have a turnover of X, that you will be in so and so many countries present. And when we look at the milestones you basically suggested to reach with your 20 billion valuation and what you have reached now, we are not even sure that you're worth 20 million. And then you yeah. need to do a down round. And that's very complicated and difficult and, and so on.
1: And that is so spot on. If I may interject there, Tobias, I think valuation is really a big point of contention because you really have two opposite sides. You have the entrepreneur and the team totally in love with whatever they created, that disruptive new technology that nobody else has no competition. And of course, it values. they value it like their own baby. And they should do because that gives them the energy to just combat and really uh, walk what they, what they want to do. But we are on the other side and we say like, OK, that valuation, great. But show us the numbers, show us some realistic and convincing and credible um, scenarios that even the best case scenario or even the worst case scenario is still a lot of goodwill from an investor's side.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, this brings us back to the perfect pitch. I mean, if a founder uh, comes with his huge vision, what he wants to achieve, and he is at point 0.0, yeah, and he tells us oh, this and this and this and this, you might not find it credible. Yeah? Yes. Um, I think what I like to see is a certain reality behind the forecasts. that so The founder says, look, this is where I want to go. Yeah? The sky is the limit. However, we do a round now of 0.5 million at a valuation of 3 million, for example. Yeah? And what we want to achieve is milestone number one. We want to have our whatever uh, product ready for market. And when we have this, we plan to do a next round of another 1.5 million at a higher valuation. You yeah. know, I can follow those steps. And I see that the, the entrepreneur has thought through a process. And I think I'm more likely to invest than if somebody shares his grand vision and says, look, in order to reach the grand vision, I need 10 million. My valuation is 30 million. Mm. And let's go for it. Because, you know, as an investor and you should be, you, you have to sometimes be a bit conservative and not just say, well, you know, I, I
1: like you. I love you. I give you my money. <laughs>
0: happens, yeah. um, but I think that the, the prudent way here is to say, well, you have a great idea. I believe you're a great team. Let's see whether you get this on the ground. Let's start with milestone number one,
1: Exactly, and I think um, that really brings us back to the entrepreneur and the team, and that is integrity. So I always would advise, um, you know, don't over-promise and under-deliver. So even if you have maybe a contract that might be signed next week, don't say anything to me, because if you don't, you look really with egg on your face to me. And I'm just thinking, okay, if he under-delivers within a week of our first getting to know each other or negotiations, mm-hmm. what is it going to be like with really those sales milestones that he's been trying to commit? Me with that is that is one thing that I think is very important. The other thing is what you were saying about okay you have a young company raising the first round and then they're starting to build and they totally forgot the focus of any walking, talking business, which is revenues, the P&L. Maybe they look at the balance sheet, but they're not driving enough the sales home, which is really what we were sold on because we want to make money to just get it very, very crude. So they come back to us and I'm just thinking, well, I just gave you uh, a couple of million asset allocation. What happened, and this is where I also see um, you know an operational investor taking the person the uh, without being condescending the the entrepreneur by the hand and saying, "Look, we now have the two million under the belt this is our this is our strategy the go to market strategy being number one, and of course, you have to build a business and do a little bit of r and d and a lot of marketing, but at the end of the day, you need to sell and I think there a lot of entrepreneurs haven 't got it yet it 's about not the perfect product, but the perfect go-to market for the product you have and starting to make money in order to build a business realistically. Yeah. Would you
0: agree? Fully agree. And, and what I also often see is that, uh, you know, startup teams, they're super good in winning prizes. You know, we won the XYZ yeah. prize for being the best oh. startup. Or oh,
1: subsidies, same you, thing. Stay you're
0: subsidies. There and, you know They manage sometimes to finance two years on the prizes, subsidies, whatever it is. And it slows them down in the in the time to market. Eh? Uh, so in the companies uh, I'm invested in or I co-founded, um, winning a prize was never uh, the important thing. But we wanted to be a, with the product in the market as soon as possible. And if you have a good idea, you will find money. There is a lot of money out there from investors, so you yeah. don't even need to win a prize. If the prize is super helpful for selling your product, you know it might be that you said our vacuum cleaner has won the prize of the best-ranking peanut in the world. Okay, of course this helps, yeah? But uh, whether you are winning the XYZ Mm -hmm. Foundation Prize for the best startup might not really help selling your product.
1: Absolutely.
0: Uh, And so I'm sometimes even a bit skeptical if I hear that the startup has won six prizes already. Uh, then I wonder, well, couldn't that time have been invested much better in uh, time to market for the product? Then?
1: We've been doing nothing else but filling in, you know, forms to apply. Absolutely. That is also a thought of mine. Well, I, one of the companies you co-founded is Singularity Group, to Tobias. And um, we had Singularity Group, Evelyn Flugi, the founder, co-founder, together with you on the show on Mentory TV. She was one of my first uh, interviewees and supporters also of my initiative here. And, uh, You cannot, I mean, I cannot help but love her. She is so smart, educated, down to earth at the same time, you know, very, very uh, strategic, and she just knows what she wants. That is my take. Now, you as a co-founder, if you had Evelyn in front of you pitching you know, the entire idea, which I guess she did at some point, what convinced you about Singularity Group that you not only co-founded, but you're staying with them, you are you know, an integral part of the strategy and also the growth process?
0: Ha, Well, you know, if you're the co-founder, of course, it's, it's, it's a very different thing than if you come later and you're asking as an investor, but however, I'm an investor in the funds as well. So I do believe in our products there. Um, why do I believe in the products? Because again, they solve a problem. Uh, uh, yep. What is the problem here is uh, disruptive innovation is very, very difficult for large companies to grasp and often they stumble over it, you know, uh, take block past the video. They, you know, uh, largest video rental company in the world. They did not see video streaming coming. Yeah, For,
1: Netflix. Here we go.
0: <laughs> That's what what a great example. You know, they missed the digital camera. So, what Singularity does here uh, is uh, they identify companies which are already having turnover from disruptive innovation. And for me, this is an excellent preparation for the future. And that's why I'm investing in these funds. Uh, now, uh, on, on Evelyn, I think what, what is, what is uh, excellent, well, she does an excellent job in general. But yeah. I think what is really uh, impressive is the alignment she has with the company. You know, I mean, she is uh, the CEO and co-founder. Um, I don't say what salary she has, but it's the low one. Uh, she has the money staying in the company. She rather likes to invest this money in hiring the best people and so on, yeah? and having the best product. And that's exactly what I want to see from an entrepreneur. Yep. Standing back with your own needs yeah? to, uh, to where it's possible and make sure that the company needs come first. And I, I think Evelyn does an excellent job on that. Uh, so we, you know, uh, as co-founders, we often have discussions on what to do, where to go, uh, but I, I definitely never need to have a discussion on alignment of interest. That, that's absolutely uh, perfect. And I think that's also for investors in the fund, again, super relevant uh, because investors in the fund, they want to have a long-term motivated team. Uh, yes. and I think Evelyn and her team, they are in for it for the long term. Uh, it, it's not, oh, let's try it. It's That's what we do. We will be successful um, you know, it takes time to grow a company, but the growth is, the growth is now nicely. And that's exactly what you want to see as, as, a, as an investor and as a co-founder, of course. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I think what I liked also about Singular, Singularity Group and the way that uh, Evelyn, is, Evelyn is handling it is she has an idea of a process, which, again, is a big thing when you say, okay, great, this is what you want to do, this way you want to go, this way, how much you want to have. But I ask myself, how? Tell me exactly, and I'm not talking strategy, I'm really talking um, how are you going to go about it from a micro point of view, i.e. Um, who is involved in that development of that goal, and what are the processes, the steps. And there, a lot of entrepreneurs, young, com- young companies, even teams of maybe even 10, 15 people are just not as efficient as I would hope for. Is that too much to ask, you think? <laughs>
0: Well, I think, you know, some people are structured. Eveline is structured, yeah. Um, Or, for example, Jan Breczek, my co-founder at Crypto Finance Group, very structured, you know, process-oriented and so on. And that's perfect if you build a company uh, because you focus on what is needed. Um, I see a problem with many founders that they have too much focus on little things. And uh, to be honest, I fully understand that when I built my first company, I was a student, and no joke, I spent two weeks on thinking what should be the name, what should be the corporate identity, you know, what colors, uh, what should be the font of our, our logo. Yeah. And it's irrelevant. Yeah? It is. It you is. It, is. it is. Later on, yeah? you even could change the name, the name, I mean, come on, computers with the name of Apple are sold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <Good> <laughs> I, I founded a company. Oh,
1: Blackberries! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mean,
0: how stupid can it be? Yeah? I founded an investment company in investing in clean infrastructure called SUSY. Yeah. Yeah. Susie stands for SES Sustainable Eye Investments, but Sustainable Investment Partner sounds boring, so I called it Susie. Is this name super elegant? No, it's not. You can laugh about it, but you remember it easily. Yeah? And it took me half an hour and half a bottle of red wine to find that name. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> okay. Well,
0: when you build a company, focus on the key thing. What is key? Your product. That's key. Uh, and the problem then,
1: it solves. The problem it solves. Because uh, that's what they need yeah. to sell to us.
0: Identify the problem and then the solution. That's your product. And I think the other thing. And uh, Elon Musk does a great job with Tesla. Your product does not yet have to be perfect when you bring it to the market.
1: Well, where would we be? I always say this also to the entrepreneurs that we have in our portfolio, stop running after perfection. Progress is important. If we would have had the perfect Apple phone, there wouldn't be a generation 11. There wouldn't be actually. If nothing else, it's it's a bit like um, you know under promise and over deliver. Always hold a little bit back and just sell this one because then you can sell the you know the updates, the next versions, etc., etc. And everything evolves because the marketplace evolves. So you have to refine your product, your structure, your go to market strategy on a continuous basis anyway if you want to be a sustainable good business. So this this running for perfection, which I was trying to say early on when I said, okay, a lot of the entrepreneurs are so much in love with what they do and they want to always R&D and R&D can get better, it can get better because they think it can, it's good for us. You know, if you can sell it, it's good enough for now. Make sure it continues to be at the market edge, of course, but, you know, don't stop even trying to sell just because you think it's not good enough.
0: I do agree. Uh, I do agree. Over-engineering is, is not needed and if you're too much in love, I mean, yeah. but that's also... If you are the CEO of a startup company, you should be an 80-20 person. Yeah. You can have your, uh, you know, CTO can be a 100% person or your head legal later on should be a 100% person. Well,
1: in earnest and young, so one can detect maybe certain companies <laughs> in Germany doing <laughs> they, a two dollars fraud. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, but the point really is you need to make decisions fast. Yeah. And you cannot always wait until you have 100% security. You know, you are a risk taker. Risk is nothing negative. Risk needs to be managed. But risk allows you to make money at the end. If you take zero risk, you will make zero money, I believe. yeah? Yeah. And so as an entrepreneur, you need to be able to take decisions fast based on the best knowledge available at a certain time, but you cannot wait too long. By the way, what I always say about, you know, if you build a founder's team, I mean, first of all, why do you need a founder's team? I'm not sure that you need one. Of course, it's nice if you share the long office hours together with somebody. Um, it's nice if you are you know, not lonely at the forefront of your company. However, if you can build your company on your own, hire people. Uh, yeah. yeah. Why, why do you want to give away shares early on just not to be lonely? I mean, better raise a bit more capital and hire people. Yes. And yes, they will not have the same motivation as you, but you can motivate them with some shares and you know uh, a pool or something like that. But uh, I think you know when, when we look at how teams are being built, um, this is a marriage, and very often those marriages are split early on.
1: Yeah. So
0: another thing, that what I, what I look on in the pitches when I, when I see a team in that case is, do they have a similar motivation? You know, do they all want to have an exit in two years. That's very different than if one of the guys says, well, I I want to build something for the long, you know, I want to build a a universe. And the other guy says, well, what I want to have is a million. And as soon as somebody offers me one, I'm out of here. And the second thing is incentivation. You know, uh, is the team incentivized enough? Everybody is it just one founder? I mean, at Shark Tank in Switzerland, we had one company where three founders presented and when I asked about, so who is owning how many shares? it turned out that only one founder has all the shares and that eventually he plans to give away something. That's no, you thing.
1: have to have skin in the game. I think that is very, very important that everybody feels that they're contributing really. And it makes a difference whether they are contributing or not to build a cathedral. And you are more interested if you're building your own money, your own income, your own success in the company.
0: And the other thing is you don't need a devil's advocate. So, you know, uh, I, I work a lot with lawyers and uh, I need them and they're very helpful. Um, they tell me, well, this could go wrong and that could go wrong. And you need to know it at a certain point, but not on day one. If on day one you focus on what could go wrong, you will not build that company. Yeah? You need optimists. At the beginning, you need optimists. Yeah, um, Of course, you need to be with a certain, how shall I say, respect to the rules. You cannot break the law and everything, but focus on how to get this thing working. And you need to be an optimist because a lot of hurdles hurdles are in front of you.
1: And let me just pick you up on that one because what I've also seen is you may have great start uppers i.e. entrepreneurs, that after a while, once the company has reached a certain dynamic, a certain level, are just not good managers and are not maybe interested in all the nitty-gritty of really building a business from the backbone up and not only uh, focused on the product. And there sometimes I find it very hard to either coach the CEO. So coachability in CEOs for me personally also is very important or the moment to say, okay, I step back. It's still, I'm still owner. I'm still, you know, I still have stewardship of what is happening, but there are better managers around. Thanks for staying with us for the first part of our conversation with Dr. Tobias Reichmuth on Pitch. Perfect, and make sure if you like the conversation to subscribe to
0: the channel. If you're inspired by the teachings of Dr. Wayne Dyer, you will love the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast with Nadia Della Cruz. You are a spiritual being having a human experience.